Hello and welcome to the Taste Uber Music Podcast. I'm Diana Lynn. After a 40-year career in corporate America, I took a huge U-turn and became a volunteer DJ on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Since 2010, I've been the host, programmer, and engineer of a weekly Americana Roots music show, The Tasty Brew. With this podcast, I'll be sharing conversations with artists and music industry insiders with the goal of entertaining and educating the listening audience, all while giving a voice to the music makers that are underserved or ignored by mainstream media. This episode of the Tasty Brew Music Podcast presents a long-ranging conversation I had with Jim Lauderdale in 2015, about the time of his I Am A Song album release. As you'll hear, we talk about his early days as a banjo player in a bluegrass band, and of all places, the New York City country music scene of the late 1970s. We talk about his love affair with the Eastern mind-body discipline Tai Chi, and his collaborations. Oh, the collaborations. Names like Robert Hunter, Buddy Miller, Ricky Skaggs, Lucinda Williams, Rodney Crowell, George Strait, and Ralph Stanley, just to name a few. Enjoy my conversation with the king of Americana music, Jim Lauderdale. I'm so intimidated talking to you today. I hope I don't sound like too much of a blithering idiot because I really am a huge now, fan. Now, why, why is that? Well, you know, I'm just a huge fan. I'm oh, a huge gosh, fan, and I'm a huge fan of your work ethic. I mean, you're just, well, you work so hard, and it uh, well. finally pay. I mean, finally paying off. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I really did not come to know of you and your work until about five years ago. Well, that's okay. And uh, you were here at Knuckleheads. With uh, the lovely Miss Carrie Rodriguez, uh-huh. and that's the first time that uh, I saw you, and I've been a huge fan ever since. So let's talk about this new CD that you've got coming out. That's got okay. It, I'm a song. Is that the name of it? Yes. You're so prolific. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what you are. I mean, I think I well. saw. I think I saw an interview that you did with American Songwriter magazine, and uh, they were asking you why the name of this CD, I'm a song. What does that mean? Yes, and I, I said, well, I feel like that really when all is said and done, when you kind of boil down my essence as a person, it's it's. I, I really feel like that it is a song, that I'm a song. And uh, I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but um, I just, I kind of, that's what I relate to most, I guess. Whether that's <laughs> pathetic, no, I don't. Or, um, I, I think, or, it... or if it's just, but I, I function best and kind of feel at my best and most alive and everything when I'm in that process of singing or writing. Well, you know, the frustrating thing for me as a fan of your music when I talked to other people about you when I was getting ready for this interview, it frustrates me that people don't know still that much about you or who you are, but of course they know your songs or they know the other artists that you have mm-hmm. written for, and they've won Grammys and, and all kinds of awards f- for your work. Has Have you kind of gotten over 
that, or does does that frustrate you in any way that you don't still have that recognition you know, I, after twenty six albums? And I, go, I go through spells of, of you know sometimes I it 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 does frustrate me or gets me down or whatever that in this kind of long career out there that you know I, I I'd be lying if I didn't say I wish things sometimes were further along. But then I kind of count my blessings after a while and just really appreciate what I've got and what's happened and everything, and, and, and then I get into a grateful stage. Do you still like to tour, or is it just a necessary evil that you have to perform to support these? I do, I do like it. I do. Uh, the, the traveling gets to me sometimes, but I do. I really love it when everything kind of falls into place and I can get into that zone and, um, and I can become, I can let who I am come out and that's because I'm a song. Well, you are. I'm teasing about that. I'm joking about that. But no, and I really do, um, you know, kind of, uh, those are kind of my favorite times, I guess, in a way. And, um, you don't mind uh, being the, the road warrior. The traveling does get, it, it does kind of wear you out after a while, but, uh, well, I just uh, it, and then there are times when I, I, I guess the nervousness or whatever sometimes gets to me. I still get nervous before shows, and I've I've talked to other performers about this, about how you know, and we sometimes I know some people that kind of share the same, go through the same thing, and it's like, gosh, I just get so distraught and stressed out and everything about performing sometimes that I just think, okay, this is it. I can't keep doing this. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to have to stop after this. And then you have a great show and you, you know, then it, it happens again some other time. But, I'm uh, so surprised to I, hear I that. I do really enjoy it. I'm, I'm surprised to hear that you get that nervous. <laughs> I mean, I've been coming to the AMAs for the last several years. And of course you, um, are the MC of that event, and it's become more and more high profile every year. And you are on Music City Roots every week. You're you're in front of the public all the time, and you seem so at ease. You're hiding it very well if you're nervous and distraught. Well, a lot of times uh, that stuff kind of it's it's up until the actual performance time. It's there, you know, for me at. You know, all this stuff will be going on. And then once you hit the stage, your focus goes, you know, all all those other kind of thoughts just kind of disappear because you're dealing with actually doing it. And, um, oh, yeah, even during the AMAs, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, this this could really flop. And then, but then you just get out there and and do your job, and and uh, so it's it's just this kind of uh, cycle. It seems like for me that I go through. Uh, sometimes I don't have, you know, one funny thing was uh, last summer. Buddy Miller and I had a show up at 
uh, outside of Lincoln Center up in New York City. There's probably about 3,000 people out there, and they were going to have this live podcast, and maybe they did it. They might have taped it for PBS or something. I'm not sure. But this had never happened to me before, but on the first the very first note of the song, um, when I touched my lowest string, which is uh, the sixth string, the E string, I I just touched the string for the first chord, and the string broke. And um, so (laughs) part of me that was saying, this is a disaster. This is terrible. But I just thought, you know, what, what can you do? It's just... You know, one of those things. So I, I just was calm about it instead of letting it ruin the whole show and everything. And because uh, those little those little curveballs happen all the time, you know, and you just kind of have to dance with them. Is it true that you're a, protect, a practitioner of Tai Chi? Yes, I am. I sure am. I've been doing it about twenty years, and um, I uh, is that what helps you? Is that what helps Pardon? you? Is that what helps you deal with moments like that when you break in history? <laughs> um, it it could be a cumulative kind of thing. I um, and I got to go to China this December. I've been uh, five times now, and um, I study with some different uh, kind of grandmasters over there. You know, guys who are just at the top of their styles and everything and uh would you recommend I, I it hope, i hope to go back um i've got a few other, if, as a reward i may go back if i finish some stuff coming up here and go over for five or six days and come back i'd like to go twice more this year if possible and i'm kind of getting more serious about it um as as time goes on <clears throat> or this year especially, it's like, you know, if I'm if I'm going to become like some of these Tai Chi heroes of mine, I've got to really uh, concentrate more on it and, and uh, make it more of uh, a priority. How did you become interested in it in the first place? The reason I ask is I have been, it has been recommended to me as therapy by my neurologist as a follow-up uh-huh. to... Uh, I had a brainstem stroke a couple of years ago, and mm. so I'm limited in some of the physical things that I can do. And so he's recommended not yoga so much, but Tai Chi. And when I saw in your information that you were a practitioner, I thought I'm going to ask him if he would recommend that for stress, you know, relief or. Oh, definitely, um, definitely, and um, <clears throat> you know, the, in, in some ways there are some similarities between Tai Chi and, and yoga, but. Uh, I mean, there there are some good stretches involved. The main, one of the main things is for you to be in a relaxed state <clears throat> at all costs. And um, uh, another thing is to is using your your mind to. Uh, move the energy through your body and even outside of your body. And so I, I definitely highly recommend it. And um, when we finish talking, I'll tell you about it. one of my teachers from China is coming over to uh, give a workshop in the Baltimore area. Hmm. And 
we suppose we supposedly so we supposedly have a master Tai Chi practitioner here in Kansas City of all places that's that's uh, you know you may with it, the masters. It, it seems like I I vaguely remember it's been a long time since I've seen this Tai Chi journal, um, and it's and there'd always be these kind of classified ads for upcoming workshops, and and I do. Recall seeing somebody. We'll, we'll have to Google that and see who that is. You've played Knuckleheads before, and yes, I, I was talking to a gentleman last night at a show at Knuckleheads. It said that he saw you there some time back. There were like four people in the audience, uh-huh. <laughs> and you well, no, and you put on I a show ex- that I was. I think he was ex- exaggerating. I think there were maybe seven. Seven. I think, uh, yeah. And he no, said I'm you kidding. did like. I don't remember it being that few. <laughs> Well, he might have been exaggerating, but I think his point was that you did like four encores. You just the people that were there were so appreciative and, and true fans that you recognized that and gave them a wonderful show. And I and I so admire that. I've seen a lot of shows where the attendance may not have been what you wanted it to be, but the artist puts on such a, a great show because you never know who's in the audience and what connection yeah. is they have to the material or whatever. So just know that that performance at Knuckleheads many years ago resonated with that guy and he tells everybody oh. about it and talks about it. Oh, good. It. Are you traveling with a band or is this going to be... I s- do a lot of uh, stuff solo and I really enjoy it. Um, you know, you I know, think... I, do, I, I do some things with a band, or either a bluegrass band or the electric band. Well, yeah, you do. And <laughs> I'm just so... I, I'm, I'm so used to it through the years and so used to opening up for people, gosh, let's see, like Lucinda, the last time I toured with her, I was on a couple of tours. One was the Car Wheels on a Gravel Road Tour, and then um, the Essence Tour was the last time I toured with her, but I would open up the shows solo and then be in the band. And um, we played at that really cool, older space there in Kansas City when we Mm, probably the Uptown Theater, I've, I've been with the Mary Midland Chapin Harbinger mm-hmm. there two years ago. But, um, yeah, I'm just so used to it that uh, I, I enjoy it, and it's it's always a challenge when you're in a large uh, venue. venue than, you know, to kind of go over and everything. I, I like that challenge. And, uh, of course, it's easy, you know, when you're just, by yourself traveling it's it's easy to to well it's easier you know. and a lot more cost effective <laughs> yeah it costs a lot of yeah, money to, to tour with a band although i have to say you know as i get older you and i are of the pretty same vintage i'm a little bit older than you are but um i prefer the singer songwriter um, set up now a lot more than i used to i appreciate it mm-hmm. a lot more and and uh we have some great listening rooms here in Kansas City, and we're so happy that you're coming back. The last time I tried to see you here, besides Folk Alliance, I did see your showcases that you did for Eric Brace and Peter Cooper in their Red Beat Records um, showcase room. You were touring with Yorma. Is it Yorma Kakonin? Is it yes. Kalkinen. You know, but I you had, had to, to cancel, cancel your show. My here. mother had passed away. Yeah, I'm so sorry. They, and, uh, they said you did yeah, have a, so. a family emergency and weren't able to make it. Yes. That was an interesting lineup. Yeah, that was really neat. Um, G.E. Smith 
as I recall. G.E. Smith, yeah, G. E. Smith and, and uh, Yorma, Jack Cassidy, and Barry Miller. Jack Cassidy, that's who I couldn't remember. That was a, that was a <coughs> and, great show. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And, um, yeah, that was, uh, I guess we toured about six weeks during that time, and I'd been a big fan of all theirs. And uh, so that was... Um, that was really a, a great experience to get to play with those guys. Well, when I was telling my friends and colleagues that I was going to have the honor of speaking to you today, I asked them if they had the opportunity to ask you a question, what would it be? Would you mind if we went through some of those? Sure. Um, of course, uh, I know that you're from North Carolina originally, mm-hmm. but as a young person, you migrated to like New York or L.A. to follow the country music scene there, and I don't get that. I, I don't even understand that there was a country music scene there. Why wouldn't you have well, gone to Austin or, or well, Nashville? That's a, that, that's a good question. And um, uh, the reason I went to New York was because I did, after I went to college, I went to Nashville for about five months, and I just couldn't get it going. I I did hang out a lot with Roland White, who's a bluegrass mandolin player and hero of mine, and we made a duet record together right before I left, but then I couldn't get a record deal for it, and then <laughs> since then we've lost the masters and everything, and so that's a shame, but that was, that was a good experience. Um, I go to the Grand Ole Opry every weekend because one of my roommates was in a band that played there every weekend with this lady named Wilma Lee Cooper. Um, but after that, it, you know, when I kind of was facing the reality that it just wasn't going to happen for me there in Nashville, <clears throat> I did have a lot of classmates that were living up in New York, and I met a guy coming through town in Nashville at the Station Inn when I was playing there one night and he was from New Jersey and I said, hey, I'm thinking about moving to New York. And he said, I'll get you a, a gig at this country bar called Olani's, just a solo thing in between bands. So that that was just going to be an occasional thing, but that was enough for me to be, well, that's something. And um, so I went up there and coincidentally... Oddly enough, at that time, there was this kind of country scene up in New York, um, which I didn't even know about. I just discovered, and then a few more clubs opened. But there was already a place called the Lone Star Cafe, which was a uh, a place where Merle Haggard would come play, uh, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, whoever but at the same and it was a tiny stage but even James Brown would play there with his huge band and when is this um, chronology I mean what what uh, that was in 19 well I moved there in the fall if you don't mind me asking (laughs) 79 and then um, and then things slowly kind of uh, I, I started getting some gigs and was able to put together a band and then was hired by a uh a guy to kind of front his show, this drummer that would put together the bands, and, and we had a female singer, too, so we'd do duets and switch off singing leads. 
and I was in a, I had a bluegrass band, and then was in a house band. Finally, um, well, and and I had a day job. I was a messenger and worked in the mailroom at Rolling Stone magazine. So that's a true story. Yeah, and I I thought that would be I thought it would be interesting and 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 that I'd be able to make some connections in the in the music biz. And um, then I got into a house band situation in uh, in New Jersey, and I could get a ride there every. We, I guess we played six nights a week. Um, and but then I got uh, cast in a play playing banjo and guitar in a show called Cotton Patch Gospel that Harry Chapin had had written. And so that, I had to quit that job. We we uh, did a kind of tryout in Boston, but, but it didn't go over. And then Harry died, and but then they got an off-Broadway uh, run. And so I came back uh, to New York City and did that show. But then after the show at night, I could run downtown and play gigs. And um, so that that was a good period. Um, it was this little bluegrass band that was the band in the show. And um, um, and you were playing but, banjo or guitar? Yeah, yeah, I played banjo and guitar in that. And I started off playing banjo as my uh, first string instrument. And um, but then the scene in New York slowly started kind of uh, dying. Uh, some of the clubs are closing, and so there weren't as many opportunities. And all along, since I had been a teenager, I just really wanted to do music. Was um, that when you met Buddy Miller in New York? That, that was. I met him in 1980, January of 1980, at a club that I um, was going to be that I had played at and was was going to be. Uh, playing that more and so I, I went there I'd heard about him and he and Julie were playing they had a band and uh I just love the energy uh, between you two. Oh, I, it's almost I like really a vaudeville enjoy. act but not really I love <laughs> I love listening to your radio show it it sounds oh, so relaxed thank and of course because well, you guys he, are who you are you get the most amazing guests on there and it's like you're just sitting around the living room table or whatever having a Well, we are recording it in his home studio which is what he uses and that's an addition it's like a, the back part of his house and it's one big kind of window filled room and um it is very comfortable he's got a really cool house and uh um yeah i i, I met him in new york and then he left new york and eventually i ended up in los angeles and there had historically there had been a country scene out in Los Angeles for a long time with with Merle Haggard and Buck Owens and the, the Bakersfield, Bakersfield mm-hmm. scene, which is a few hours away. But they'd record in Hollywood and at the Capitol Records place. And I had read about Dwight Yoakam before I moved out there, and I hooked up with his producer eventually and. After a couple of years, I got my a record deal, and um, that record ended up not 
coming out when we thought it was going to. It, it was a very Bakersfield sounding country record, and it was kind of. Uh, it's a label I was with. They had, you know, they kind of it, it different labels at that time in Nashville. They go, we need a, you know, we need a pop guy. We need a country, real country guy. We need a this and that. And so at my label at that time, they really kind of had a guy that they were pigeonholing like that. And, and I was just kind of too country for it. So that um, <clears throat> deal just languished, but eventually I got another one and did a record with Rodney Crowell and John Leventhal co-producing. And around that time, I mean, after, and then when that record came out, they delayed the release of it for a long time. And so that record kind of died before it came out. But I started getting cuts from other people off of that record, um, the main one being George Strait, who recorded... Uh, well, nobody's heard of him. Where, ...Where the Sidewalk Ends and King of Broken Hearts, and that, those were in the movie Pure Country, and that really opened the doors for me as a songwriter. And so here, I guess I was 35 or so at the time, 36, and things finally started kind of happening and um so I, I started getting more cuts went through a couple more major record label deals but i never could get the hits for myself on country radio but luckily some other people were so that allowed me to you know make a living for myself and still pursue what i was uh wanting to do and that's make my own records and to this day that's kind of my um the thing i, I really enjoy is is creating new records and uh the challenges that go along with that well since you've had such uh i want to i don't know what the right word to say is you've had this challenge like you said over the years with record companies and record deals coming and going do you have your own record label now is that sky Sky Crunch? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so now yeah. you've got this control over your product. And when did the relationship with Robert Hunter start? And, and the fact that you have your own record company now, has that allowed that relationship to flourish? You guys can truly just collaborate um, at your own rate and your own... Uh, you know, I... Um, oh, I, uh, actually, how we kind of hooked up was I was going to do my first bluegrass record finally too because that was one thing when I was a teenager and then with the thing with Roland White that didn't come out I really had kind of envisioned starting out doing bluegrass records but I just couldn't get the break I couldn't get the interest in people to to record me so um after I'd had a few country albums out, we, we were doing a TV show um, called Live at the Ryman with Ricky Skaggs, and uh, we were both on it. So I approached him about uh, letting me, uh, this is Ralph Stanley, rather, or doing a, um, 
letting me write a song for him to close a country album I was working on, and he agreed. And so, and I, I was on a song on one of his albums, and then I started just kind of sitting in with him whenever I could, whenever I was nearby where he'd be playing on the road, and. Uh, he, I, I proposed the idea of doing a, a whole album together, and he agreed. And I thought, well, I'll write some of it. I'll, I'll do some old songs, and um, and I thought, boy, I'd sure like to write with Robert Hunter. He's always been one of my favorites. And I know he and Jerry Garcia really are big Ralph Stanley fans. So through this uh, guy Rob Bleatstein, a friend, do you know Rob? Only through the uh, name, reading information about you. I do not know of him oh, other, okay. than, other than through well, well, you. He, um, he, I said, Rob, I, I really, I don't know how to get a hold of him, but if anybody does, it would be you. So, and this was before I knew how to do emails <laughs> on my <laughs> own. <laughs> because, mind you, this was back, oh gosh, this was way back in 1997, I think. And, um, it still took me a few years after that, but I finally got the hang of it. But anyway, we started writing. He faxed me some lyrics, and I would send him cassettes overnight of uh, you know ideas for his lyrics. And so we did a few on this Ralph Stanley record, and um, uh, and then he came to Nashville for a few months. He just wanted to come. And so we, I'd go over and see him when I was in town, uh, and we got about 33 songs, and um, then I edited those down and put, I think, 13 of them on, on a record called Headed for the Hills. So that was the first one we put out, and that was an all-acoustic album, but I had Buddy was on there, and Gillian Welch, and Emmy Lou, and... Um, uh, and then he liked that, and, but it took about, I guess about six years went by, and I started, uh, I went out to California where he lives, and we <clears throat> wrote, and I was in the, kind of in the throes of working on a record I was writing for the band that had played with Graham Parsons, those players, as many of them as I could get. Uh, that played on his two solo albums, James Burton and Al Perkins uh, and Ron Tutt being the primary guys, the, the drummer Ron Tutt. Um, so I wrote, I was working on this record called Honey Songs with them, but then we recorded uh, four or so songs that I was writing with Robert Hunter at the time. And um, Robert and I finished that stuff and that was called patchwork river that's my favorite by the way we did a couple of bluegrass records together and um then last no a year ago last november i put out a uh, record i went into the studio at the north mississippi all-stars and spooner oldham a piano player and david hood a bass player who were part of the muscle shoals scene back in the day and uh, so that record's called Black Roses, and then I did a, I've never done a solo acoustic record, and that's called Blue Moon Junction. And those, so Robert and I have, have collaborated on six 
studio records, uh, writing-wise. For those of our listeners who may not know who Robert Hunter is, he was the lyricist for The Grateful Dead. And am I remembering this correctly? You actually convinced him, and he actually performed at the AMAs during the award ceremony, did he not, a couple of years ago? Two two years ago. um, I was so shocked to see him. I mean, he's such a mythical character that I (laughs) I didn't think I I was going to ever see him in my lifetime. And and, uh, I was so privileged to be in the front row of the balcony um, that night. And I thought, I cannot believe I'm actually seeing Robert Hunter. That was a real magical night. Yeah, that, that was the first time he'd really performed in about eight years. He... He had performed a fair amount and, and had put out uh, some records on his own, aside from writing with Jerry Garcia the bulk of the Grateful Dead catalog. And um, uh, so that was real um, you know, special to see him get out there and, uh, and do that. That was real moving. I think the moment that we had this year was uh, Ry Cooter. Oh, yeah. A lot of folks had not seen Ry Cooter for a long time performing, and he was part of the house band, the fabulous house band that you guys put together um, for the AMAs. And it's another one of those things where as as a fan sitting there in the audience and you're getting the opportunity to see all these people at once, I mean, you can't believe it. I mean, there's Patty Griffin and Robert Plant and Jim Lauderdale and Buddy Miller and Don Waz, and it just it's such a mind-blowing and mind numbing experience it really does take a couple of weeks to come down off of it and i can only imagine i mean you're living the life right now jim lauderdale (laughs) just so you know well and uh, you know and buddy that getting back to buddy about that that was his um great idea to get rye we had had him on our radio show and um when he came through nashville once and um so then Buddy thought, wow, you know, that'd be great to have him in the, the house band. He he always puts together such a stellar oh my goodness. lineup. And that was real special because, yeah, Rye <laughs> hasn't been playing that much. He acted like or seemed um, like he was really enjoying himself. And I'd never seen him play a did. banjo. And, um, I know he really, uh, you know, Loretta Lynn kicked off the show and he got to play banjo on Coal Miner's Daughter. I, I I've got the pictures oh to prove boy, it. That's great. Um, it was those those awards cer- ceremony shows are always such a magical night. Has anybody ever told you no um, to be a, a member of that band, or or who who's who would you like to collaborate um, with that you haven't been well, able he to? He puts that together, and I can't recall now. I mean, I think he's thrown a few feelers out to people, but basically, he's been pretty successful about. Um, you know, getting the the folks that he's that, that have been on his wish list, and um, I would say if so. If he hasn't, it's usually been due to a, a scheduling error. I mean, some problem right. with the artist. I feel the snow that's falling as I'm drifting out of you. I could not hear you calling the clouds have fallen through lost lost in the 
This may seem like a superficial question, but it might, it's one that came, came up quite a bit, and you probably get this a lot. We, and we tease about this a lot in the Music City Roots chat room when we're all talking while you guys are doing the show on Wednesday nights. Um, where do you get your clothes, your fashion oh. sense? Is it, is it well, Manuel's? Is it Nudie's? What, I mean, what? Yeah. The, um, when I'm wearing a suit, it's, it's usually from Manuel, and... Um, and Manuel is a guy that used to work for uh, a master tailor out in California named Nudie, N-U-D-I-E, who kind of in the uh, started making stuff for Roy Rogers and Gene Autry and all the um, movie cowboy guys, and um, then kind of was was making stuff for the country stars who were based out of in California, and there were quite a few, and then people from Nashville, when they'd be out there in California, would go and get stuff made, and um, uh, so that was dating back to the 40s, <clears throat> and Manuel was a, a young teenager working for him, now he's in his 80s. But he's still, he has a shop here in Nashville. And any time you see something like Marty Stewart or Dwight Yoakam used to wear more rhinestones, and, or Porter Wagner, um, any of those guys, he, Manuel was one of the tailors, knew he designed the stuff, but stuff the Flying Burrito Brothers wore, you know, any of those kind of <clears throat> um, interesting, wild-looking Western type thing, stage clothes, and, and Manuel probably had a hand in it. So, any of those suits are his. And then uh, there's a lady in England named Janet Aspley, and uh, she's got a company called Dandy and Rose, and she um, started making shirts several years ago. And so, I've been getting uh, a lot of really cool shirts from her the last few years. Well, we enjoy your wardrobe choices in the oh, chat room at Music City Roots. Thank you. Um, we're an affiliate station for Music City Roots, and uh, I'm proud to say that uh, I I uh, lobbied for that and um, thank you. came to Nashville with, at Craig Havighurst's invitation during the AMAs. And um, Anyway, long story short, we've been on board now for at least a couple of years. Um, how is it that Thanks. you um, became associated with, is it Todd Mayo and John Walker and that group? Um, it's such a great show. Um, I'm, 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 I'm going to be honest with you, and I, I'm not sure that I'm a big fan of the factory versus the Loveless Barn. I kind of like the the vibe at the barn well, a little bit better. But um, that's okay. That's <laughs> all right. And, uh, um, well, we uh, ended up having to. Um, uh, leave that venue and then, and then this one came up and uh, it um i'm hoping it's going to keep growing and catch on out there but um uh have you been you mean visually or you've been out there i no, i've been to both venues okay. um I've, I've been to both venues i'm just i guess maybe it's the age thing again i'm, I'm more comfortable now in smaller venues and more intimate settings and yeah uh, the yeah. factory's a little larger and uh 
uh, it's a great facility, you know, the, uh, it is. having it, to have the radio is. station right there well, as well, I'm sure. Well, now, now playing Angel's Advocate with you, though, to okay. maybe try to sway Okay. <laughs> Don't you think that maybe it's a little bit more comfortable than Oh, there? my God, yes. The seats the are chairs, for sure. Yes. It's a little more comfortable. Weather-wise, it's not, I mean, it's it's definitely, for the heat and air conditioning, it works better there. And, of course, I'm not taking anything away from the Loveless. I really love being there. But um, I think for their filming sensibilities too it works better for them lighting wise they're getting a better quality yeah, yeah. the streaming stuff. the streaming yeah. seems and, to um, be better too so you know give yourself uh give it a, give it another chance out there and i think i will i think the next time you come back and and there's also a really good new caterer Yes, I partook of the food as well. <coughs> it's it is a good venue. It's a little bit of a drive outside of um, yeah, well, Nashville, and, but and everything's see, kind of a nightmare. Here's the other thing: it's just it's deceiving a little bit because probably it's the same distance. Like if you were coming from the Music Row area or downtown Nashville or some hotel in the heart of town, it's probably just as quick to get to the to the factory in Franklin, but it seems, I think it's just a perception thing. It's really the same, if not a little shorter, to get out there to the, the factory. Well, let's uh, let's get back to um, touring and coming to Kansas City here in a little bit. I don't know whether you recall or not, but there's a gentleman at the venue that you'll be playing that is, uh, he's a pastor, and uh, his name's Carl Butler. And he runs the sound and uh, part of the venue oh, yeah. there. Um, yeah. He's a great musician and in a former life, and he'll, he'll be the first to admit this before he was a pastor, he was an illegal pharmaceutical salesman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's got quite the, quite the take on life. Um, he asked me to ask you, um, when you're on the other side of the ether and you have the opportunity to say one thing to your family and friends, what, what are you going to say to them? about um thank you thank you for for um experience of getting to be part of the friendship or family and um for the experiences and things that i was able to have with 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 them i think that would probably that well, that was lovely. He said, if you could pass on one character quality or attribute to a young person coming up to the young, the new young Jim Lauderdale that just moved from North Carolina or Nashville to uh, New York or L.A., what's the one character quality or attribute that you'd say you've just got to have to be in here well, for the long haul? if it was the new me coming up and I could look at this younger new version i'd say forget it you'll <laughs> never make it give up and go back. <laughs> take your banjo and go back to no, North I'm, Carolina. I'm joking i would say <clears throat> i would say patience yeah just develop patience and enjoy the process it is a marathon and not a not a sprint that's right right what's the accomplishment that you're most proud of right now 
There's I so many. Think, <laughs> I don't know what you would choose. <laughs> where, where do I begin? We only have an hour. I don't... Uh, no, I'm kidding. I would... Um, gosh, I'd, I'd have to roll a few of them in there. One would be um, working with, with Ralph Stanley and Robert Hunter and uh, having George Jones sing something I wrote. And your longtime friendship with Buddy Miller. I mean, that's got to be yes, unusual that, in that, that business. Yeah, that's I mean, something I'm very grateful about. Yes, definitely. Well, we're grateful that you have seen fit to come see us again in Kansas City. We know that you don't have to. Um, hopefully it's because you want to. And uh, I definitely do. Oh, um, yeah. I'm really definitely. excited to get a hold of... Um, the new CD. It's got 20 songs on it. I mean, you're lucky these days to, it's probably considered a double album, is it not, with that many songs on it? Yes. Well, I, I do consider it a double album, even though I put everything on one disc, just to, for environmental reasons. But I, that is, I had tried on a couple of albums before that to make them double albums, and um, I I'd always ran out of time and would have to stop at like 16 or something. Oh, yes, Tom. So this was uh, kind of a uh, milestone for me. Heard Joe Farmer say, excuse me, please. Those were the days, but so are these. Pull over, park, turn off the key. Let's go walking, just you and me. Sometimes always, sometimes never. Been this way damn near forever Promises that don't deliver Let's head down to Patchwork River Patchwork River, Patchwork River Me and Joe Farmer walk down together Talk about hopes, talk about schemes Talk about salvaging some of our Joe Farmer say, if I may Serve you breakfast on a supper tray Got no eggs, but I saved some shell Lost the clapper, but I found the bell This man's father is that man's son Brothers and sisters, has he none? Look in the shaving glass, what's he see? Looks like mama, but he talks like me Patchwork River, Patchwork River Me and Joe Farmer walk down together Tell a few jokes at our own expense About life on the other side of the fence Heard Joe Farmer say, don't be shy Same rules apply as in days gone by Styles may vary and the lingo bend what it all boils down to in the end Pay your dues and take your chance Don't mistake hunger for romance Forgiveness is nifty, but enough's enough When they keep on pulling that same old stuff Patchwork River, Patchwork River Me and Joe Farmer walk down together Talk about wealth and the worry it brings Lack of satisfaction and other things Vision is simple by moonlight Everything black 
Just a range of black and blue Softer tones, fewer voices Freedom from too many choices Newborn moon, a silver sliver Say just in case you feel like cutting right to the chase I would never stand in your way But there's one thing I wanna say What you do for love alone will last The rest just clutters up your past If you don't know that much by now You're never gonna learn Work river, me and Joe Farmer walk down together. Talk about hopes, talk about schemes, talk about salvaging some of our dreams. Patchwork River, flowing with song. Patchwork clouds are drifting alone. Talk about hopes, talk about schemes, talk about salvaging some of our.